All right. Well, hey, guys, thank you for being here. And I will say it's been a few weeks since I have, quote unquote, been in the pulpit. So it's good to be back here. And I'm hoping I still have it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what if I'm terrible now? And you're like, oh, my gosh, we're leaving this church. This guy's terrible all of a sudden. Let's pray that I'm not, right? Let's pray that I'm not. Um, so, yeah, so Randall is not here this morning. My wife, she is actually in Birmingham with our daughter Sarah celebrating like a mom's weekend. And so she might be watching us if you are, babe. Hey, and uh, you're missed. Everyone's asked about you, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. All right. Well, let's dive in uh, this morning. So I've got a few things. We haven't spoken in a few weeks, so I've got three, three sermons to catch up on, right? So I'm going to do it this morning. And I will say this morning's going to be like a little patchwork. I'm going to have some individual pieces I'm going to talk about. At the end, I hope to weave them all together. And so the first part, we talk about like what's going on, this like outpouring of God's Spirit, this Asbury revival we've been talking about. We're going to then look at where we've been and then kind of take a step toward towards uh, this Lent season, this Easter season that we find ourselves in. And hopefully, like I said, by the end, we will tie all of those together. So with that, um, most of you have heard us talk about or maybe have seen online just this outpouring of God's Spirit has been talked about multiple places at Asbury University, right? This is called either a revival or an outpouring, a move of God, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't really matter. I don't think God gets too caught up. He just knows that he's moving and doing something. And so in that, we've seen that happen in campuses. We've seen God stirring in churches and our in our community, all over the nation. Uh, God's been uniquely moving here, and it's been really, really fun to watch. But I recognize in the season that some people have been saying, hey, we just, you know, whether they've told me or someone, I was talking to somebody who said they feel like the revival is waning, or they feel like the outpouring of God's Spirit is waning, and what are your thoughts, Steve? So I figured I would just share all of those with you this morning as we then dive into the service. And so first, when I come in and think about what God's doing in this outpouring, the first place I land actually is a heart of thankfulness. Like that's, the, that's always our starting point. When God has moved, whether it's past tense or present, our actual starting point is, God, thank you for moving. That's our starting point. God, thank for thankful that, because here's the deal, I heard Kevin Brown, he was the president of Asbury University, he said, how do you feel about ending the services for revival? And he said, here's the deal, I can't end something that I never started, right? And that is the beautiful piece. When we think about revival, think about moves of God, we, we really can't stop something that we never started. And that really is this piece. I'm just thankful for the stirring of God. I'm thankful for the way that he's healed, delivered, set free people, intimately drawing people, bringing salvation to people, right? Here at Vintage, watching this hundreds of Gen Zers, thousands of Gen Zers do it at Asbury. It was great. Second, it's important for you to know how I view moves of God in general. How I view moves of God. I view moves of God like waves. The nature of waves, and you all experience this in the ocean, is they come, and then waves recede, or they wane, they pull back. And then the beautiful pieces, then waves come again. Some waves are bigger than others and seemingly have more of an impact. Some are smaller and they stay a shorter period of time. But waves are always coming. And as we have prayed over the past several weeks what we about what God is doing, and I've talked with pastors in our network at length, and I've talked to pastors literally all over the nation about what God is doing, what I have sensed clearly from the Lord and a word that we've used, we believe what God did here at Asbury and pouring out into our nation was 
a groundswell of sorts. That's actually a word that April had as she was praying. Just a, this idea of this, this, this move of God being a groundswell. A groundswell, if you don't know, is simply a wave before another wave. It's usually a smaller wave before a bigger wave. It's the idea, same thing of like a little tremor before a larger earthquake, right? We, we sense that this outpouring is a groundswell, a wave before a greater wave. We believe what God has done, that he has brought about a groundswell. And what has happened is awakened many of us to a greater desire for his move in our life. Like it has increased a hunger for his presence. And what I've experienced is it's increased a hunger for his movement. It has awakened us. And again, using ocean language, what I've seen is it's turned our eyes now back to the ocean and confident hope of another wave. That's the beauty, a confident hope of another wave. And I live in hope and expectancy rather than frustration and fear. And so in this, I'm always, this is literally, said, God, all this is done, it's just make me, whether, whether they're trying to define everything that happened and to clarify every, like, nook and cranny of the movement and to kind of sit there and look at it and, and like, and just investigate it. Like, God, I, I don't know what it was, but I just want more of you. Right, that's the takeaway. Rather than trying to figure out what it was, let's thank him that he's moving, hunger's been increased, and desire for more. That's the longing where we are. The beautiful thing about a receding wave or a waning wave, and this is important, this is the third piece, that a receding wave has its own power. It has its own power that we need to open our eyes to and celebrate. Mark Nicewander in his book Revival Rising, he quotes this guy named James Byrne, and I think this is on the screen. Yeah, it's on the screen. It says, each wave is a revival. This guy's old, right? This older guy, James Byrne. Each wave is a revival. It rushes forward with impetuous haste and with exultant joy. It carries everything before it has power. And then having spent its strength that recedes, you could say wanes, only to be succeeded by another wave and yet another. To the careless onlooker, it seems as if nothing were gained, but behind the ebb and flow of the wave is the unconquerable power of the tide. I love the ocean, and I love being in waves, right? I've been in little bitty waves, and I have been in waves that I should not have been in, right? The ones that are scary, dangerous. The ones that they're coming, and they make you do this, right? And you're like, I'm about to die, right? And so when that wave comes, what do you lean into, which is the nature of every move of God? We lean into any move of God, and we, and we take its weight, Right? And that wave then hits and pushes us back. But as soon as that wave then hits and goes up, what does it do? You then change your weight because as the wave begins to recede, you feel the tide pulling and it can rip your feet up underneath you also. And so what I'm beginning to see here in this is like the wave is winning. I'm like, but the power of the tide is still rising. It's still pulling. It's still moving. I clearly recognize in the season at Vintage that there is a moving tide of sorts of God's spirit. There is an increased hunger. I see a desire of more of Jesus. I see a longing expressed as people pray. I see greater engagement both here in the church abroad. What I see is a greater fervor and a greater energy and a greater hunger in the church as even the receding wave comes back in preparation for the next wave. And this receding power, because it's God's spirit doing it, has the power to save, heal, and deliver in the same way as a powerful wave hitting. 
We simply have to open our eyes, be aware of, and celebrate it and fully engage it. Therefore, fourthly, I want us to be like the five wise virgins of Matthew 25 who are always looking, believing, praying for, and longing for the coming of God's Spirit. For them, it was the coming of Jesus, but for us, it's the coming of God's Spirit and His movement, what we would say in my language, the next wave. And in the meantime, I don't want you to miss the flow of the tide. I don't want you to miss the ongoing movement that's awakened here at Vintage and the church as a whole. God is moving here. God is moving in the places. Listen, God is moving in the places where people remain hungry and thirsty and asking him to move. Therefore, ask God to keep you hungry. Ask God to keep you thirsty, to keep you longing for more of him as you rest in what he's already, what you already possess of him as being his child and continue asking him for more. I encourage you to remain engaged. I encourage you to be super vigilant about your own life. We're going to talk about that this morning, but the life that you're living. The second piece in this is, is we have been hearing these things. We've been praying, we've been talking, we've been asking people about them. But we want you to know that we believe that you're hearing God also, right? That we don't live in a world today where I'm the Moses who goes up on the mountaintop on behalf of all the people. I hear the voice of God for you and then come down and share it with you, right? No, we believe that every single one of you are invited to go to the mountain with us and to hear God's voice for yourself. It's the ancient understanding of the priesthood of all believers, that we are all those who are hearing God's voice go into the mountain, engaging him in hearing. And so what we believe is that in this season, God's speaking to you for yourself. But we also believe he's probably speaking to you on behalf of Vintage and the church as a whole. And if there are things you feel like God is speaking, we want to hear those things, right? Scriptures like we see in part, know in part. You have part, we have part. You put the parts together, you get the whole picture. So if there are things you believe that you're hearing from the Lord as it relates to Vintage, things of what God is doing and stirring, even along these lines we want to hear those things and so all you have to do is simply just email april so april's right here april raise your hand this is april her email super simple it's just april at vintage242.com if you want to know what our email addresses are, just put our name in front of at Vintage242.com at Vintage, and you can email any of us who are on staff, okay? So April at Vintage242.com. She'd be happy to receive those. Our desire is to get a lot of these. And then what we find a lot of times, as well as to how God speaks, is that he speaks to people different ways, but a lot of times, all of a sudden, you get like 10 different things, and there's like... Ten different ways of saying almost the same thing. And when that happens, you recognize this is something that God is speaking into. We need to take serious and begin to go after. So if that's something that you're diving into and hearing from the Lord, we want to hear those things. So, all right, that's the first patch I've created this morning. Now we're going into the next patch that we'll create our patchwork with, right? Over the past few months, we have intently focused on the spiritual disciplines, what we've been calling arrows in our spiritual quiver. This will be on the screen. We said these these arrows, these arrows represent actions where that we give ourselves to that when engaged in practice, they place us in the presence of God where we are shaped and transformed by him. Right. Just leave it there for a minute. These arrows, these disciplines we engage represent the actions that we give ourselves to not to earn favor, but so that we can receive from
from God, that when engaged in practice, they place us in the presence of God where we are shaped and we are transformed by him. We said no one of these arrows, no one of these arrows is more important than another as each of them are equally important, right? So when we talk about prayer, we talk about worship, we talk about study of scripture, we talk about practicing the presence of God, we talk about silence and solitude, talk about fasting. Last week, uh, Tammy talked about this, this power of forgiveness, this arrow of forgiveness that really opens up the grace of God in our lives. And all of these, when we practice them, they're equal in nature. One's not more important than the other. We did say, though, that some just fit the stage of life or the situation of life we're in better than others. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm in a season of really needing, I want to, feel like God's just saying, I need you to learn about who Jesus is, learn about his character, learn about his traits and the way that he moves in the lives of people, then study of scripture will be probably more profound for you than worship. They're both great, but scripture is going to talk about Jesus and lead you to understanding Jesus and knowing who Jesus is, right? Whereas worship is powerful, but, but it's just different. And so in that for us, what we want to do, our responsibility is growing in each, right? Growing in each of these in our lives, practicing them all in some form or fashion and gaining wisdom of when to engage one over another. I want you to hear this. This is just a pastor moment. The, the, the discipline, the arrow of fasting. We're in a season of praying, God, keep us hungry, keep us thirsty for you. The nature of fasting in and of itself is that it awakens hunger. Hunger for food, but equally hunger for Jesus. And so if this is something you have not necessarily practiced, then I would invite you to practice the spiritual discipline. Shoot the arrow of fasting in this season. Fast for a meal. Fast for a day. Fast for three days. Whatever how long you feel God leading you to, it be intentional saying, God, I'm fasting because I want to remain hungry and thirsty for you, and it's just what he does in the moment. So if that's you, I encourage you to do that. Go back and listen to Mark Nicewander's message from two weeks ago talking about fasting. It gives some direction, gives some clarity, and then you can go buy his book, The Fasting Key. I know some of you bought it after he spoke that week. He wrote a book called The Fasting Key. You can order it from Amazon.com. It's a great book on the practicals of fasting. Okay. In these moments, though, around these arrows, these disciplines, Disciplines, we need to ask ourselves every day on the screen, what arrow am I going to shoot today to place me in the presence of Jesus so I can be transformed? What spiritual practice am I going to give myself to today so that I can be put into the shot into the place of the presence of Jesus so I can be transformed. You remember we talked about Mark said, hey, it's like these disciplines are like the, the, the sails that we put up so that the wind of God can reach into and blow them, right? That's the idea here. So we practice them. It puts us into the presence of Jesus and just being put there, it transforms us. What error? So we could ask this question. What error did you shoot yesterday? What error did you shoot yesterday to place you into the presence of God so you could be transformed into his likeness? When's the last time you actually shot an arrow? And that's not to condemn you. It's just to ask, wow, I probably need to start doing that so I can put myself into the presence of Jesus because I recognize I have not arrived. I need to be transformed. I don't know about you, but I want to be transformed. I want to look, act, and sound more like Jesus every day. This is just, he says, here's my gift to you to help make that happen. I will work in you and do that, right? And so on the screen, our transformation, our transformation, our maturity, and our growth, it is dependent on being a people 
people of his presence, living daily, beholding his beauty, hearing his voice, and being shaped by him. So again, there is a responsibility. God's not going to make, God's not going to all of a sudden just fast you, right? He's not going to just like all of a sudden fast, and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten in days now. I can't believe this has happened. This is crazy, right? God doesn't do that. He's not a hand in you to make you do things like a robot, a puppet, whatever it is, right? It doesn't work that way. You have to choose these things, put yourself into his presence. You've got to shoot the ear. Now, Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, right? The image of the face of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I encourage you, write that verse down. Go study the whole chapter this week talking about what does it mean to be veiled versus unveiled. This verse right here and the whole, even that whole section of Scripture, it's Paul. Paul is writing. Paul's writing, and he's telling the kind of this, this kind of connecting to the historical story of Moses, who, when he was in God's presence, he had to go in and cover his face because he was afraid if he did not cover his face that the glory and the radiance and the, the nature of God was so powerful that it would kill him. Imagine you getting too close to the sun and it burning you. That's the mentality. I see the beauty and the power and the glory and the majesty and the radiance of God, and it's going to cause me to die. Right? So he literally veiled his face so that he could not see God. But Paul's coming in here in the moment right, and tells us because of salvation, the work of God's spirit, post-death and resurrection it gives us freedom he says i'm i'm tearing the veil there's now no barrier you can enter into his presence without any veil without any cover so we can see experience and engage the fullness of jesus in our lives right we shoot an arrow it places us into the fullness of god's presence we get to behold his radiance and his beauty and we are transformed and it says for this comes from the lord who is the spirit because it is God who transforms us. He basically he's saying there is no barrier. You can always shoot the arrows. You can always engage these. You can always come into his presence with the confidence. Listen, every time you come into God's presence, even if you feel like it's not going well, even if you've got the good feelings and the goosebumps to go with it, in those moments you're being transformed. Every single time. It's the confidence we have. Please don't be a people based off emotion and feelings. Maturity is not connected to having great feelings. It's about having feelings connected to intellect and logic and thought together. It's beautiful how it works and how he's designed us. God, I did not feel anything today, but I am so thankful that as I stepped into your presence and shot the arrow of worship, I was transformed more into your image today. This is great. Thank you. Right? That's the place we get to. So, that's the promise of 2 Corinthians Paul writing. Our need for God's presence and our need for transformation. So our need for God's presence, our need for transformation, it's multifaceted in that we need it for different reasons, right? Transformation, as I come into God's presence and I'm transformed, it makes me healthier on a personal level. I know who I am in Christ. I know who I am as his child. I know my identity I step in on a personal level again to know my purpose, why I was designed, why I was created, and what my role in life is. 
personal. Transformation makes us more effective, what I'm just calling kingdom stuff. Kingdom stuff, right, on a spiritual level. I learn how to be Jesus to people in need because I watch Jesus to see how he did it. His spirit overwhelms me, so I'm empowered to share the gospel. I'm empowered to bring spiritual freedom to the sick by with healing, to spiritual freedom for the oppressed. I'm able to, again, proclaim the gospel and those who don't know Christ are drawn to him, right? This is part of the transformation. As I come into his presence, he transforms in the person of the image of Jesus. I'm like him. I do the things that Jesus did. But on a different level, transformation brings about maturity in life. And I would say if there were one thing that we are in need of in our generation is a spiritually mature people who are not tossed to and fro by the feelings of waves every single day. I'm doing great with Jesus on a Monday. I'm terrible on a Tuesday, right? Like we don't have to live like that. Maturity and transformation that takes, that takes place with, with transformation and maturity is beautiful. There are several verses in the New Testament that speak to spiritual maturity. Maturity in the New Testament speaks to, these are important, like maturity speaks to being fully developed, fully developed spiritually, full grown, lacking nothing, something that's just complete, from incomplete to complete. In Corinthians, Ephesians, and Hebrews, the, the writer uses comparison language of child to adult to make this point because we recognize that, right? You look at your five-year-old son or daughter and you go, mm, they're just a hopefully bit more immature than I am as a 35 or 40-year-old adult, right? Let's hope, right? Let's hope. So he uses the language because we all understand that it's super clear. Children by nature are inexperienced and immature. Adults by nature to be more experienced and to be more mature in life. That's just the nature of it, right? And so the idea is there are different types of believers. There are immature believers who are like children. And then there are those who are mature like adults. Now here's the point. Being immature like a child is not bad if you are a child, right? That's the point. Like if someone's coming to Jesus, they're brand new, right? They've been a Christian for like a week, and they start cussing up a storm, and maybe even go have sex with their somebody else, right? And you're like, oh, my gosh, you're terrible. But like part of it is like, that's not okay. But it's part of the maturing. I just didn't know, Right? What is this can, what is this feeling I have that what I've been doing my last 30 years is all of a sudden bad? It's wrong. Like I was with this person. It now feels bad. It didn't feel bad last week. Like, because it's called conviction. And part of the maturing process of an unbe- a new Christian is they learn things that are not okay and they learn from them and don't do them again. That's just the nature of immature children. They do things. They learn from it. They don't do it later because they've learned. And so spiritually mature versus spiritually immature children. But if you are supposed to be mature like an adult and are not, well, that's just weird. And that's a problem. Like imagine if here I am 49 years old, young, right? It's like I'm 49 years old. And what if I, and I'm completely just mentally present and my mind is sharp, right? But I walk up here with my teddy bear and my blanket and I suck my thumb in between speaking, right? Like that would be weird. Some of you would just come to church because you just find the joy and weirdness, right? But most of you would leave because that's just weird and not okay. So in this, right, we have to recognize that there's nothing worse than an adult who thinks and talks and acts like a child. It's so odd. 
spiritual is on the screen. Spiritual maturity occurs as we spend time with Jesus. Maturity will lead us to an eternal perspective on life, kind of seeing things holistically. It will lead us to an unyielding love for every neighbor around us, not just the ones who think like us, talk like us, and vote like us. Maturity will bring about discernment to find Jesus in all things, just to name a small few of the things that happen in spiritual maturity. Let's look at a few of these verses. Look at Ephesians 4, 14 through 15. 14 through 15 says this, After having been equipped and reached a place of maturity, then we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. We are to grow into Christ. Maturity equals growing into Christ-likeness. Study of Scripture, why is it important? Because then you get to actually read and understand what Christ-likeness is. We learn about Pharisaical, overly religious non-Christians who clean the outside of their cup but keep the inside of their cup pretty dirty with judgment. And then we see Jesus, whose cup is clean on the inside and whose cup is clean on the outside, right? And so in this, maturity grows us into Christ's likeness, strong. These are just some of the traits that I love about Jesus. Jesus is strong, but Jesus is humble. Jesus is faithful, always. Jesus is obedient, to the Father at all times. Jesus is kind. Jesus turns the other cheek all the time. Jesus never defend, rarely, rarely, never defended himself. He would defend some others. He never defended himself. Jesus, strong, humble, faithful, obedient. Again, just in a few traits. I think it's imperative sometimes for us to go find the traits of Jesus in us. And as you read scripture, to go find the traits of the Pharisees in you, the elder brother. If you've never sat back, listen, you've never found yourself in scripture in the context of the Pharisees, you probably haven't opened your ears up well enough. I think it's actually why we are so polarized in our Christian world, because we are more pharisaical, religious, than Christ-like. Christ was always unified and looking for unity and pursuing connection and always looking to engage people rather than to separate and to isolate into some homogeneous, disconnected group. I'm just saying. Can you find yourself in Jesus? Can you find yourself... And non-Jesus. That's why maturity is impactful and imperative. Because we're able to see the immature areas of our life. And allow Jesus to transform them as we invest into him. By shooting, air, shooting ourselves, shooting arrows into and putting ourselves in his presence to be transformed. Hebrews 5.14. But solid food, solid food is for the mature. 
for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, maturity is a big deal. It means we are whole, complete people who act our age. We're able to distinguish good from evil and able to handle solid food from Jesus, who are able to listen to anyone, to engage, and to embrace for the purpose of loving them well. While I may disagreeing with them, but being able to connect and love them for the purpose of leading both you and that person closer to Jesus. Do you listen? I would just say to you, every relationship that you're in, in Christ's likeness, should be a relationship that you were investing into so that both of you are getting closer to Jesus. All of them. The disciplines are the tools. The arrows that we shoot are tools we get engaged to grow in maturity to become Christ-like. Our arrows that we shoot place us in God's presence, and only it is only in his presence that our transformation occurs, the transformation that leads to our growth, the transformation that leads to our maturity. So I'll say it again. The question we need to ask ourselves every day, what arrow am I going to shoot today to place me in the presence of Jesus because I have massive areas that need maturity and transformation. And Jesus says, great, come on in, I'll do it. Just open yourself up to me, every single part of you. With that in mind, with that in mind, that's our kind of, that's our patch. That's kind of catching us up where we've been. So now our third patch, and then we're going to be done, okay? Third patch today is I want to kind of catch up where Jesus is right now, 2,000-something years ago before, the, before Easter. Right? I'm going to kind of go back in time. We're going to see where is Jesus in the Bible today, right? In history today. Don't you love those things? In history today, the number one song, blah, 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 whatever it was, right? So we're going to go back to where Jesus was. And somewhere, Jesus was somewhere, probably in John chapter 11. Right. John chapter 11, you can go look at yourself and he's somewhere in the story. There's probably several days, multiple days, like a week long, maybe in the story of John 11. But it's the story. You all know it. It's the story of Lazarus. You know the story, right? Lazarus and his sister Mary and Martha, they are loved by Jesus. Jesus likes to come to their house sometimes. Lazarus gets sick. Mary and Martha sin for Jesus because they know if he's just here, he'll have the ability to heal. And Jesus doesn't come in time. It's been multiple days later, right? Because Lazarus dies. And then about four days after that, Jesus shows up. And they and the sisters, man, they're just... As you can imagine, they've lost their brother. They're super upset. It's not a great moment, and they're sad, right? They're sad. Possibly angry with Jesus. We don't know for sure, but possibly because he showed up pretty, like, four days afterwards. Like, where were you, right? Was, listen, it was only, it was only, I think it was five, I think I did the math earlier, and I think it was, Jesus was only, like, four miles away from them when all this stuff went down. He could have made it, right? They walked everywhere they went. They could have walked in one day. They could have made it happen, but Jesus just waited, right? And so in this moment, right, in this moment, we get our favorite, every kid's favorite Bible verse, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. 
right? How many of you, those are the very first Bible verse you ever memorized? Thank you. Yes. And so me too. And so Jesus then comes into the moment after weeping. Why does he weep? Different people argue. I believe it's simply because he had such compassion for Mary and Martha, not because Lazarus had died, because he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. I think he had such a heart of compassion for these two women that he loved. He hurt that they hurt, and he expressed a level of emotion towards them because he just loved them so much. I could be wrong. We have our own opinions. We don't know for sure, but that's mine. And so then Jesus does the miracle of all miracles. He raised Lazarus from the dead. In verse 45, it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed him. Yay! Right? Well, I don't know about you, but if I raised somebody, or God, excuse me, God used me to raise somebody from the dead, like it would be a celebration moment. I would like, this is a victory, right? This is a good moment. I, I, I see this as a victory. This is, man, like, this is something very validating. We all know he was dead, right? We all know he was dead. Now look where he is. He's out of the grave. Take those grave clothes off. Ooh, they threw a big party, like, next chapter. It's a great moment. Super huge, right? It is a victory. Great moment of victory. It's a spiritual pinnacle. I would say this, in these types of moments, these great moments of great victory, it's really, really easy to follow Jesus. It's really easy to remain faithful. It's really easy to worship him, and it's really easy to believe in him when everything's great. Right? And we're all super excited to be a Christ follower when everything's going on in life and Jesus is doing everything the way he's supposed to be doing it, because I made sure I told him. Right? Super easy to follow Jesus in those moments. The need for transformation uh, is in this moment, we're not even aware of it because everything is just so great. doesn't require much transformation to remain faithful. and doesn't require much transformation in our lives, much maturity uh, in these moments of great victory because we just don't feel it. But, but what we see in these following verses is that we find the religious leaders in this moment, not super excited. They begin to gather and discuss what to do with Jesus. They were in full opposition to him. We pick up in verse 53 of John chapter 11. I think it's on the screen. I'm not sure. Is it? Yeah, thank you very much. From that day on, they made their plans to put him to death. Verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. It's interesting. From great victory to hiding. From hiding to those who wanted to arrest and kill him. Now, I don't think he, he Jesus wasn't a fearful guy. I don't think it was in fear. I think it was just common sense and wisdom. They're going to kill me. It's not my time, Right? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say for sure, so we don't know for sure. It doesn't feel like victory here, does it? It doesn't feel like victory. It's these moments where our transformation and maturity is most needed, isn't it? In these moments where life is not victorious, in the moments when we're not winning, in the moments where there's tension, in the moments where we feel like we have to go hide because it's just too much, the moment we're fearing for our lives seemingly, This is where our transformation and maturity is most needed. Last week, Tammy spoke about unforgiveness towards those who have wounded us and offense towards God for not moving how we believe he should. 
in immaturity, right, we are quick to unforgiveness and quick to offense. That's just the nature of life, that as children, you watch your children, they get offended really easy, they get mad really easy, they get pout really easily, right? Do you know some adults are like that? I do, right? And in our immaturity, we're always about defending ourselves rather than listening. We're fighting for my personal rights rather than recognizing maybe I'm infringing on somebody else's rights. And I'm always fighting for what I believe to be right without listening to other people. And Jesus could have felt that way in this moment. He could have said, guys, did you see what happened? Like, he was dead. Everybody knows he was dead. There's no question if Lazarus was dead. But he came out of the grave, and hundreds of onlookers saw it. And now you want me to chase me down? You want to arrest me? You want to kill me? Seriously? But in maturity, Jesus, in maturity, Jesus had a changed heart posture. He wouldn't have condoned their decision, but in nature, he turned the other cheek. He loved them, and those who literally put him to death, we know on the cross, he actually forgave them. I don't find much understanding, turning the other cheek, and forgiving people happening in our culture. I people hear people fighting for their rights, what they believe for justice, for the things that they believe in, rather than listening well, engaging others, and talking. Our transformation in the presence of Jesus is needed for every difficult moment. And definitely needed for those lengthy, difficult seasons. Transformation, not quite as needed for all the victories when life is great. But transformation and maturity is needed in those moments of hardship, which is where we find Jesus 2,000 years ago hiding with his disciples. The disciples probably were in great fear and worry for their life and for the life of Jesus. Jesus was just aware of it, not fearful necessarily, because he understood this time had not yet come. Probably in his flesh, some level of that, because he was human. I don't know how that works. There's tension for sure. Our transformation, again, the presence of Jesus is needed for these difficult moments. This is on the screen here. The transformation to a Christ-like heart posture And every area where we need maturity only occurs as we live near to and behold him in secret. The transformation to a Christ-like heart posture in every area where we need maturity only occurs as we live near to and behold him in secret. Last week, this is important, I want you to hear this. The last week, if you were here, we talked talked about unforgiveness and offense and the needing to forgive. And... I'll be honest with you, forgiveness, is, uh, forgiveness of somebody who cuts me off in traffic is one thing compared to someone who has exacted terrible trauma in my life being another, right? This one should be short and sweet forgiveness. This one may be a lengthy journey of every day surrendering to the Lord and forgiving over time, making sure that the, the power of my unforgiveness is broken so it's not controlling and hurting me. My point is this. What God is asking in maturity each for every human being is a heart posture of forgiveness. Jesus, my, would you mature me to a place in the area of unforgiveness and offense, Lord, 
that you have changed my heart to I am willing and open at all times to follow in obedience and to bring forgiveness as needed. That's the heart posture that God's looking for. But here's the point. When we talk about heart posture of unforgiveness, it's really a heart posture for everything of Christ-likeness. A heart posture of love towards every single person that I meet. And Jesus says to the point, a heart posture of being able to even love your enemies. A heart posture of forgiveness, I've already named. A heart posture of mercy. How well do you show your parents mercy when they do something they shouldn't have done? How well do you show mercy and grace to your children when they have disobeyed you once again? How well do you show mercy and grace to the person who is religion and lifestyle is the exact antithesis of yours and everything about them is like sandpaper to every part of your soul? Someone say amen to that, right? We're around these people all the time. We have a heart posture of mercy and grace, a heart posture of being slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, James says. A heart posture that's slow to anger. Heart posture of conviction that I quickly, quickly, quickly recognize sin and I walk away from it. Quick to a, listen, heart posture of obedience, of sacrifice, a heart posture of patience, a heart posture of trust. And with trust, this is just helpful because worry is such a word, a word in our culture. We have a heart posture of a lack of worry because of a confidence and trust in who Jesus is. I got two sentences, three sentences left. As we wait for the next wave, everybody take a deep breath. I'm weaving, now I'm taking, that's a patch. I'm weaving them all together right now. As we wait for the next wave, the invitation is clear. Hunger and thirst for Jesus. Get near to him and allow him to transform you so your heart is perfectly postured to see him, receive him, follow him when the next wave comes. The question we need to ask every day, God, what arrow am I going to shoot today to place me into the presence of Jesus so that I can be transformed into your image? And so whether I am in difficult seasons or in easy seasons, God, I am Christ-like. What do we do when seemingly this wave is waning? Focus on Jesus, I remain hungry and thirsty for him, and I devote my life to becoming like him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your presence. Father, I am thankful for the way that you move and you speak. And this morning, Lord, I said a lot. Talked a lot about transformation, Lord. Talked about all these things that you do. And I just pray this morning, God, that you would put your finger on some areas of each of our lives, Lord, that you long to fully redeem, change, and to cause maturity and to Christ's likeness. So that our heart then lives in a posture to say, I am perfectly positioned to receive from the Lord everything that he has for me. Thank you, Lord, for your arrows. Amen.
invite our ministry teams to come forward. Uh, we're going to go ahead and end our service. And so if you need to, if you need to go today, uh, you are welcome to do that. I know it's about 1.15. And so if you need to get out of here, you guys can get on. And uh, we say if you're a first-time guest, though, we do have a gift for you. As you walk out the door, one of our team members will be there to introduce themselves. If you'd like to fill out a Connect card, we'd love for you to do that just so we can know that you were here to grab one of our gifts. And we just say, if you'd like to make vintage your home, man, you are you are welcome. We would love to have you. If you're able to stay this morning, again, I just invite you a couple of ways to worship. One, this is Aaron. Aaron plays and sings. If you want to come and give your offering through tithes, you can give us worship through tithes and offerings. We have our we have our baskets here. You can give one of these little giving boxes, mailboxes on your way out. They open from the top, and you can worship and give that way. Uh, if you'd like to come and take communion this morning, we would simply love to invite you to come take communion as an expression of worship. So with that, you are officially released. You guys can stay as long as you want and worship, engage Jesus, and find him. And if you need to go, you guys have a great day. We love you, and we'll see you soon.